Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you can change the world. And uh, church to me is simply a whole lot of friends challenging one another to go higher in God. How many want to go higher in God this morning? Uh, we're going high and, uh, you know, I believe we've got one life and we've got to make the most of our life. And uh, we're on this planet for a short amount of time. And uh, I really believe God uh, wants to purpose, uh, put purpose in our steps. Uh, I grew up in a uh, pastor's home. In fact, uh, I've got two brothers and a sister. We're all born a year apart. So my parents had four children in four years, uh, which is big. Uh, big. My mum my had to deal with four preschoolers, uh, which, was, which was a busy moment. But having two brothers, there was a lot of competition in their house. And so we'll always challenge one another to do crazy things. You know, we'll find ourselves building bike ramps and, and going higher and higher and, and normally finish with one of us in hospital. That's how, how those normally ended. And in fact, I remember one time we're at a, at a bridge and uh, it was overlooking a river and my older brother said to me, come on, let's jump off it. And I looked at him and I thought, man, you're crazy. That's really high. But anyway, he just jumped up on the ledge and he jumped off and you knew it was high because all the way down he was going like this. If you've ever done that before, and uh, you know he he hit the bottom, resurfaced. He said, "Come on, come on, you got to do it." And so, how many know I had no option? Uh, Otherwise, I'd never hear the end of it. So I jumped up on the ledge, looked down, and thought, "Flip, this is really high." Uh, I jumped off, and all the way down, I was going like this, and you knew I was high because on the way down, you had time to think, "Man, this is high." It was so high that the bottom of my feet were red afterwards from the slap of the water. You know, I just had to tuck myself in and, uh, you know, I resurfaced. And the first thing my older brother said to me was, man, that hurt, didn't it? Uh, to which I agreed. And, uh, yeah, that was sore. And then we both yelled out to my younger brother, it's fine, come on down. And, uh, and, and church to me is just like that. Just in the natural, you challenge one another to do something crazy. It's about challenging one another in the spirit to live for God. To, to live outside of what we can do. I don't want to just do what I can do. I don't want to just do hard. Too many people just stuck doing hard. Life's hard. You know, things are hard at the moment. God hasn't called us to do life hard. God's called us to do the impossible. And as a church, we're stuck sometimes just doing hard. But God wants us to do the impossible. He wants to go above and beyond what we can think. He wants to do far more than we can imagine. And uh, when you entrust your life to God, it's amazing what He will do in and through your life. I look at where I am right now and I go, Flip, how did I get here? And in fact, I never thought I'd be a pastor. In fact, my brothers used to have an argument who would become the pastor. And somehow I got the short straw. Um, my other brothers, uh, one's an architect, one's in business, doing, doing stuff. But I, I'm, I'm the pastor and, and I go, man, I didn't choose this. I just chose to follow Jesus. And as a result, He's fulfilled my dreams in far and beyond. And when you follow Jesus, you know what you're on the, what you're on the earth for. And, and life has a purpose to it. See, when you discover your purpose, you experience the power of God. Come on, how many want to experience the power of God in their life? And, uh, you know, as your pastor mentioned, you know, we're in Auckland. We've got a church there. We've got four locations in Auckland, but we've got 18 all up around New Zealand. You know, but also we've had the privilege of planting churches in in many places throughout the world, God's given us favor in Europe. We've got a couple of churches in London, 
in Berlin, uh, in Zurich, in Switzerland. Yes, we have a Swiss bank account. There's not much money in it, but uh, we do have a Swiss bank account. We're in Zurich, you know, we're in Berlin, I said that, and uh, we're in Rome. We've planted a church just 18 months ago. In fact, it hasn't officially launched. We're just gathering people, and already we're getting over 200 people in Rome. It's, it's now the largest Protestant church in Rome, and uh, seen over 100 people saved, and we haven't even launched and God right now is doing stuff in Europe. In fact, we've got plans to plant in Florence. How many feel called to Florence? And, uh, you know, in Naples and other places. It's just, it's just happening right around, you know, in places like we're starting a gathering in Munich and, and Hamburg and Flensburg and, and all the other bergs. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, God, God's just moving. And I really believe we're living in the greatest season of the church. Come on, I I can see in this church, you know, God's doing great things. But I want to declare, you're living in in the middle of a move of God. And, uh, you know, you're not on the edge of something. So many people go, oh, we're just turning a corner. No, I really believe we are living right now smack bang in the middle of a move of God. Come on, if you believe that, come on, let's give God a clap. Amen. Amen. Well, if you got your Bible this morning, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. I just want to share a few verses from you and uh, from, from you, from this passage and, uh, and then launch from there. So let's go verse 1. It says, Now when it happened, when Sembalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, funny names, but uh, they are significant names in, in the context of this verse because they are the enemies of Nehemiah. They came against Nehemiah time and time again. It says, when Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I rebuilt the wall and there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I've not hung the doors and the gates, that Sembalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Everyone say, Ono. Oh, no. Because they thought to do me harm. They thought to do me harm. So I sent a message to them saying, I am doing a great work. How many know Life House is doing a great work? Now, come on, it's doing not just an average work, it's doing a great work. Lives have been changed in this place. I've met people who've encountered Jesus in this house. I am doing a great work, he said. So I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Why I leave it and go down to you. But they sent this message to me, how many times? Four times. And I answered them in the same manner. Uh, One thing I've found, just in my journey of walking with God, is the enemy loves to minimize the work of God in you. He loves to downplay it. He even loves to get you to a place where you question its legitimacy. Is that you, God? Is that really you? Are you doing that? And it would have your attention, he would have your attention focused on something else. You know, I don't know how many times in my life, right off the back of a significant breakthrough or a significant miracle, I get bad news. And I'm going, what's up with that? How can that happen? You know, you've got something good over here, but then you're struck with some bad news. And and it's almost like the enemy comes and he, he tries to undermine what's going, the good things that are going on over here to get you focused on the bad news over here. How, how many know if you're going to take ground in the kingdom of God, you're going to face opposition? The enemy's not, if you determine in your life to live for God in this purpose, the enemy's not just going to roll over and applaud you. Right now in the world, there's two, two kingdoms in operation. 
there's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. There's, there's only two. two, two kingdoms, light and darkness. It's not like there's A, B, C, D, and F, only A and B, light and darkness. And if you're going to take ground for the kingdom of God, you're going to face opposition. You're going to come against it. And Nehemiah experienced this. Nehemiah experienced this resistance. Now, first of all, he had heard that the walls of his hometown had been broken down and, and he was burdened to do something. He had a burden in his heart to go back and rebuild these walls. He was released and he got favour and, and, and people rallied around him because they saw that God was with him. And he went back to his home city to rebuild these walls. But he faced opposition even in the declaration of what he was going to do. There, there was... There was people, these got three guys that would mock him, that laughed at him. Oh, yeah, what are these feeble Jews trying to do? Even if they were to build the wall, it would be so fragile. If a fox was to run across it, it would fall over. How many know when you declare you're going to do something great for God, you're going to find you're going to come against opposition? Because guess what? The enemy knows it's easier to kill a seed than it is to destroy a harvest. Your greatest opposition will come at its inception. Because if he can kill the seed, he can destroy the impact of the harvest. Some of you right now, you've got a seed of a dream in your life. And you're wondering why you're up against it. But if you're to get gains in the kingdom, you've got to learn to take on resistance. Come on, all you gym freaks out there. You know what I'm talking about. If you're going to get gains, you've got to take on more resistance. And it's the same in the kingdom. Now, Nehemiah understood this, and, and he understood the attack he was under. And these three guys continually came against him. But what you've got to understand about Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you go to the meaning of the name Nehemiah, it means comforter. Now, somebody goes by that name in the New Testament. It, it's the Holy Spirit. How, how many know the Holy Spirit can do stuff that religion can't do? See, for 70 years, they had been trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they hadn't made progress. For 70 years, they had tried, but they would given up. They had lost heart. They were disappointed. And they would given up on building this wall. But Nehemiah came along with a burden, and he was able to accomplish in 52 days what they hadn't been able to accomplish in 70 years. Now, come on, I want to declare over your life, the next 52 days, maybe you want to mark it in your calendar, that if you align yourself with God, you're going to see supernatural breakthrough. Come on, if you believe that, you need to give God a big clap of praise. Come on, the next 52 days, where you've been struggling to make progress, where you've given up and you've been disheartened, I believe there's a supernatural moment in God. That, that things are going to converge and you're going to see those things come about in Jesus' name. Uh, too many people today, you know, don't carry expectation because of what they've experienced. Wow, so true. You know, it's like I expected that, but I experienced something else. And there's yeah. this gap between our expectation and our experience. Yeah. The question is, what do you do? Do you, do you bring God down to your experience? Or, or do you maintain that level of expectation? So many people right now are bringing the Word of God down 
to the experience rather than lifting their experience up to the Word of God. And we've got to get an expectation in our heart. You know, I've had things in my life that haven't met my expectations. I've gone on holidays thinking, man, that's going to solve all my world's problems, all the world's problems, my problems at least. And it's raining the whole flipping time. How many have been there before? You know, I thought the holiday would do it, you know. So some people think, oh, well, you know, marriage, you know, it's, it's going to solve all my problems. Yes. You know, I've got married, and I've got to say, my, my, my expectation didn't match my experience. Yeah. Some of you are saying, that's cool. No, uh, listen to me right now. My, my experience exceeded my expectation. Oh. I don't know what you're thinking right there. Some of you are going, how could he say that? His wife's not even here. But, but so often in life, we, we reduce our expectation. Come on, I really believe God's saying you need to lift your expectation. Come on, what He promised will come to pass. How many know that the promises of God are not a nod? Some of you are nodding at me. They're not a smile. The promises of God are a yes and a... Come on, they are a yes and they are a amen. Some of you are right now, you're sitting there giving me a nod, but you don't move mountains by just nodding. You don't nod by just smiling. Come on. If you can align your heart, if you can believe in your heart and not doubt, well, something took place there, something moved. And if you can speak to the mountain, it will move. Right now, some of you are up against some mountains. For that mountain to move, it's not going to happen by you just going, you've got to speak to that mountain. And, and it will move in Jesus' name. Come on. Some of us need a theology when it comes to a response. You know, you didn't get saved by just believing in your heart. Oh, Pastor, I'm believing in my heart right now. You didn't get saved by that. You had to confess with your mouth to get saved. I reckon the enemy's been good at shutting the mouth of the church for too long. Some, of the, some people say, oh, well, that's just all hype. No, do you know what hype is? There's a lot of hype in quieter churches. Because hype is when you do something different on the outside to what's on the inside. And I don't see how you can have the creator of the universe living on the inside of you. Come on now. Living on the inside of you and be quiet. In fact, I see it. I find it quite hypocritical that guys can yell at a rugby game but can't get excited in church. Come on, I'm looking for a little bit of a response right now. Because you have the creator universe living on the inside of you. And we, we've got to get excited by this. And I love Nehemiah because he had a conviction and he had a purpose to his life. He knew what he was about and he refused to come down off the wall. These three guys tried time and time again to destroy him. But once they found out they couldn't destroy him, they thought, well, we'll get him. We'll just distract him. Uh, let, let's bring him down off the wall and as long as he's off the wall he's not going to be making progress uh, we've got to add back home uh, it, it says two seconds to kill it only takes two seconds to kill it's a, an advert about dangerous drivers it's about the danger of talking on your phone while driving how many have done that before? Yeah. Uh, come on you can be honest in church right now yeah, you can be honest in church. How many have talked on their phone before? Yeah, yeah, okay, a lot more people. Yeah, or text on their phone. But it only takes two seconds to kill. Two seconds to kill. Two seconds distracted. 
you can go 56 meters, and, you know, that's a whole lot of people that you could kill just in two seconds. You know, two seconds to kill. And and a distracted driver is a dangerous driver, but I want to declare today a distracted Christian is a dangerous Christian. How, How many from time to time can get distracted? Come on, I know what it's like to be distracted. In fact, I once read a billboard that said, don't read billboards. They're distracting. You know, we get distracted by many different things in life. But we don't realize why we're distracted. Things are being stolen from us. If you're a thief, a good thief, you know, if I'm going to steal something, I'm going to create a diversion. And I'm going to get the shop owner focused over here while I take something from over here. Could it be right now that stuff is being stolen from your life and you don't even know it's being stolen because you're distracted? You don't know. You think, oh, I'm all right, I'm all good, nothing wrong. But, but you're missing out on the potential of what could be because you're distracted. And, and the enemy loves to, to distract us with, with menial things, with things that don't really matter, with, with things that in the light of eternity aren't going to, I'm going to make a difference. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you today, just, just how do you know whether you're distracted? Some of you, you know, could it be you're distracted and you don't even know? I quickly want to give you three things as to how you know you're distracted. Number one, you have an inability to focus. You have an inability to focus. See, with distraction, it's not just what you're, what you're distracted by. It's what you're being distracted from. I want to declare today there's power in a focused life. Yeah, Nehemiah said, I'm not coming down to negotiate with you. I am doing a great work. Here's the deal. Unless you're convinced you're doing a great work, you're in danger of being distracted. What great work right now are you involved in? What great work are you giving your life for? Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. He had a vision. He wasn't careless with his life. In fact, Proverbs 29, 18 says, without vision, we cast off restraint. Without vision, another version says, the people perish. It's not like without vision, we survive. No, without vision, we perish. I believe we've got a responsibility as Christians to live with vision. Uh, To live with vision that comes from God. Now, one thing you've got to understand about vision is vision is a spirit. It lives on the inside of you. It's not something that you've just written down on a piece of paper. It's something that's in you and can't be taken from you. It lives on the inside. I like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind can conceive the things God's prepared for, for those who love Him. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't see it with your natural eyes. You can't hear about it with your natural ears. You can't even conceive it in your mind. Too many people today are trying to intellectualize God, trying to understand God in their mind. That, that's not smart. Because then God can't be bigger than your mind. Yeah, and... and and in the end, we, we incarcerate him in the prison of our mind because we want to understand him. But how God reveals anything is in our spirits. The, the first time he speaks to us, it doesn't make sense. 
Like when, when we first had, had, had the thought of planting the church in Europe, going back to the motherland, you know, where we're, we came from and planting a church. Who are you? You're, you're from little old New Zealand. It didn't make sense in our natural mind, but God revealed it to our spirits. And we had to believe it. You know, it's just like Abraham. You know, Abraham, God took him outside of his tent. He said, look out, count the stars if you're able. And he says, so your descendants shall be. You've got to realize, Abraham's in his 80s when God said that to him. That was a crazy picture because he had no children. That'd be like you and I going into a retirement village going, hey, guess what? God told me to to an older couple there, you're going to have children. I mean, no, you're going to get a slap around the head. But that's what God said to Abraham. And it says, and Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Come on, that's Abraham, the father of faith. And it said, Abraham left, in Hebrews, left his homeland, not knowing where he was going. Too many people today want to know where they're going before they leave. I need to know, God, you show me and then I'll go. You show me, once I understand it, I'll go. Show and I'll go. And God says, no, 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 no. Go and I'll show. Go and I'll show. And we say, no, show and then I'll go. And God says, no, go and then I'll show. We have this argument, I'm waiting on you, God, and God's waiting on us. In fact, God comes to we're going to show and then I'll go. And he goes, no, hey, no go, no show. Yeah, how many know it's hard to steer a parked car? Some of us right now in the garage, sitting in our car, waiting for God to direct us. Yeah, come on, we need to take off the handbrake and we need to start moving and God will guide us and direct us. Come on, you have an inheritance in God right now. But you've got to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, visions in your spirit. It's like when you go shopping, how many know? When you go shopping, you see something you like, you try it on, and you think, man, I look good in this. You think, man, I look great. I need this. And then you look at the price tag. Oh, that's beyond my budget. And you go away from the shop. You put it back, and you go away from the shop thinking about what you've just seen. You go to bed. You wake up in the morning and you can't get it out of your head. I really need this. I mean, you know what I'm talking about right now? It's like, I need this. All the women should lift their hand right now. You know what I'm talking about right now? And you've got this picture in your mind. How many know you purchased it the moment you saw it? And the moment you saw yourself in it, you purchased it. It was just a matter of time before you took possession of it. Because what you do is you go home. And you can't get it out of your mind. And so you, you scheme. And you connive as to how you can get the money together. You go, we can make cutbacks here. The kids don't need this in their lunch, you know. We can all sacrifice, you know. We, you know to get the money together to purchase what you've seen. Do you know it's the same in the spirit? Yeah, you get it in the spirit. And even when you leave it alone, it won't leave you alone. It's, it's in there. It's in there. You wake up thinking, dreaming, meditating, scheming, believing. How could we do this? 
well, we could change this. There's got to be a way. God, you know, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me in this. Come on, don't just accept whatever's on right now. You know, you go into some living rooms and somebody's watching TV and you ask, oh, what are you watching? Oh, I don't know, it's just on. So many of us just accept whatever's on. No, God's given you the flipping remote. Change the channel. Come on, we have the ability to author our life. You know, He's given us authority. Within the word authority is the word author. You have the ability to author and script your life. Too many of us are just settling for stuff. You know, well, it's just on. We listen to music on the radio. You know, it's got a nice beat to it. It's got a nice melody line. We start singing along to it. And then, and then we start, and then we take note of the lyrics we're singing and we go, man, I don't know if I agree with those lyrics. Come on, how many have been there before? But you hooked up, you just went along with it and you started confessing stuff you don't even believe. But what you've got to understand is whatever you confess will manifest in your world. And we just can't accept with what, just what's on. Come on, we've got to carry vision. Nehemiah had a vision to his life. And in 52 days, he was able to accomplish something supernaturally. Number two, how do you know you're distracted? Is when you're looking to God and others to do what you can do for yourself. Let's jump back to chapter 3, verse 23. It's an interesting passage. But it says in this, after him, after these guys, after Nehemiah, after him was Benjamin and Hesab, and, and they worked on the wall and they made repairs opposite their house. Now, where did they make repairs? Opposite their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. How were they able to accomplish such a great feat in 52 days? Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, everybody took responsibility for what was in front of them. They made repairs opposite their house. Now we have this expression back home as a church, we are who we are. Too often, many people want the church corporately to be something different to who they are individually. It's like, yeah, time and time again, being a pastor a number of years, you know, people come up and, what's the church doing about this? What's the church doing about the homeless? What's the church doing about this? And I go, well, what are we doing? Yeah, what are we, because we are who we are. And too many people expect something different corporately to who they are individually. But if we want to see our world change, we've got to understand the only place we, we should say, what's the church doing about this, is in the mirror. Because who you are individually is who the church is going to be corporately. Come on, if we want to see the world saved, what are we doing to win the world? We've got to take responsibility for what's in front of us. Some years ago, I got a prophetic word from a guy and he said, hey, I see a bodybuilder. And I go, yep, that's me. No. <laughs> he said, I see a bodybuilder. And, uh, but the problem with this bodybuilder is they've worked the upper body and they've got a massive upper body but they've skipped leg day. Uh, they've got skinny legs. And he just gave me this picture. It didn't give me any interpretation to it. Just left it with me. And I'm going, God, what's that about? And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he said, well, the upper body represents the corporate identity of the church. Wow. Uh, it represents the corporate identity. Now, in a church like this, many people can come in and go and think they're changing the world. 
Yeah, because you're seeing many people saved. You're progressing 200 people since, you know, in the last few months. Man, that's amazing. Man, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, that, yeah, that's the upper body. But the problem in the church over the years is, is it's skip leg day. Wow. And it's got skinny legs. Because people haven't learned what it is to take individual responsibility. See, the upper body is the corporate identity. The legs of the vision are about individual responsibility, about outworking that mission on a daily basis. And I believe a fully mobilized church is when we engage the legs of the church. Come on, I pray this church has good legs. Come on, come on. We're going to change the world. It's not going to just happen on Sunday. It says we're mobilised on Monday to bring the Kingdom of God into our reality. And we've got to learn to carry the vision. Carry the vision. Now, I hate shifting. Shifting is a lot of work. A lot of work goes into shifting. Uh, and, and things, you know, one thing I hated moving growing up was the piano. Was, we shifted a lot. And we had to move the piano from place to place. And me and my brothers would often get around, take a corner each with my dad. And we'd lift it to move it. None of us really played it. I don't even know why we owned a piano, to tell the truth. But anyway, we had to move this thing. And so on the count of three, we'd go, hey, one, two, three, and get it up in the air. How many know that's the biggest challenge there? And once you get it up in the air, you don't want to put it down. It's like that. And you know, often we'll get it in the air to realize the door behind us is closed. And, and so one of us would go, hey, man, I'll take, I'll take your weight. And uh, you open the door. And so you brace yourself to take the extra weight yeah. while they take their hands off and they open the door. But the moment they take their hands off, you go, the weight hasn't changed. Yeah. And you think, what were they carrying? <laughs> they had the strain on their face, yeah. and the vein popping out of their forehead, but they were carrying jack. Yeah, yeah. You know, I reckon there's a whole lot of people right now in the kingdom of God. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> But really, they're carrying nothing. And they're bringing no change in their world. Come on, if we're to see a miracle, it's going to require all of us. Come on, turn to your neighbour and say, that includes you. That includes you. Yeah, it's going to take all of us reaching our world. Number three, how do you know you're distracted? Is you engage in endless debate. You engage in endless debate. Quickly, let's just go down to verse four again, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up here. It says, but they sent this message to me how many times? Four times. They were relentless. Enemy's not just going to come once. He's going to come many times. Four times. And I answered them in the same manner. In other words, I'm not changing my tune for anyone. Then Sambalat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it is written, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem says that you Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, what are they? They're rumors. You are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. So, so what, what's happening here? They're questioning Nehemiah's motives. They're saying, the only reason you're doing this is because you want to be their king. And he says, and you've appointed prophets to proclaim, you've appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, let us consult together. Verse 8, it says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things have been done, but you invent them in your own heart. Now, I've got 
three daughters at home. Pray for me. Now, even my cat's a female. I got in trouble for saying this in the first service, but there's an element of truth in it. Um, my daughters know how to talk. And I now know why God created Adam first. It was so he had a chance to speak. So I don't get a chance to speak at home. That's why I've got to come to places like this to unleash on my words. Yeah, yeah it's like, man, I love my daughters. They're, they're amazing. But how many know siblings can have rivalries? And they can say nasty things to one another. Yeah, they can be mean. I've, we've taught our kids from a young age, hey, when your sister says something nasty to you, don't worry, it's not about you. They're only saying that because they don't like themselves. They're only saying that because they don't feel good about themselves. How many know our judgments say more about us than the people we're judging? You know, so many people are judging things and I go, oh man, I feel sorry for you. Because it shows that you've got a small heart. You invent them in your own heart. My daughter got hold of this and you know, when she was about 11, my oldest daughter, 11, 12, she was at school and a boy said something really nasty to her, real horrible, real mean. And she almost went to cry. But she says, Thomas, the only reason you're saying that is because you don't like yourself. Come on. Boom, right there. Wow. Knock out moment. He took two steps back and he's like, lost for words. And then he says, you know what? You're right. I don't like myself. See, my parents have just split up. My dad's taking all my mum's money. I've just been diagnosed with diabetes. I don't like myself. To which my daughter then said, hey, can I pray for you? Yeah, you've got to understand our, our judgments say nothing about us, uh, nothing about what we're judging. They say more about us. That's why Jesus said, judge not or you will be judged. Some of you, you've taken on criticism. God's saying, you don't need to wear that. You don't need to believe that. That was more about them than you. Come on, you just need to shake it off and you need to move forward in Jesus' name. You've let the opinions of others stop you moving forward in the purpose of God. People have questioned you. But God knows your heart and knows the purity of your motives. I love my daughters. You know, when, when my oldest again was about nine, she invited me on school camp. And you know, I thought that was cool that she wanted her dad on school camp. I thought that was awesome. But the thought of hanging out with a whole lot of nine-year-old girls didn't really excite me. And uh, so I said, yeah, I can come, but I only can come for part of the time. So we filled in the forms, sent them away, and uh, didn't hear anything back. Anyway, uh, one day I was picking her up from school, and uh, my daughter opened the door, and she burst into tears. She started crying. She said, Dad, they didn't want you to come to camp. You know, they don't want you there. And, you know, I was feeling sorry for her, but on the inside I was going, yeah. <laughs> I, wanted, I love that she wanted me there. Anyway, so I missed out going to camp this year. But anyway, my daughter's persistent, so next year came around and said, Dad, this time you're going to come to camp, and you're going to come for the whole time. So she even filled in the forms for me. And uh, I had to fill in a police record, everything like that, fill in, sent away. Didn't hear anything back. Um, in that time, we were planning a church in a city two and a half hours drive from where we were. And I was, I was driving down there uh, every Thursday night, leave late afternoon, run a service, drive back, and wouldn't often get back to one o'clock in the morning. And up to that point, I have 20 years of driving, you know, I never got a speeding ticket. Just want to clarify, never got a speeding ticket. But when you're in God's purpose, 
sometimes you face opposition. Yeah, and uh, I got my first speeding ticket coming home one night, and uh, I told Kathy as I got home, and I woke up the next morning, and she was getting the kids ready. She told my oldest daughter, Michaela, hey, Dad got a speeding ticket. She heard, and she, she ran upstairs, burst through my bedroom door, and she says, Dad, what were you thinking? Driving that fast, you're, you're an idiot. You know, she started laying into me. This girl started, yeah. I'm going, what's all the fuss? It's just a speeding ticket. She says, Dad, don't you know, we filled in the police form. And now you won't be able to come to camp. And it took me ages to reassure her that one speeding fine was not going to disqualify me from camp. The good news is I got accepted to go to camp. Now, some of you are going, what's the purpose of the story? Some of you right now, you've disqualified yourself. Because you've got one speeding ticket. You're going, hey, God can use that person. God can do it through them. We go, here we are, God. Here I am, God. Send him, send her. They're more capable. Yeah, God, you don't know what I've done. Here's the deal with God. God knows everything you've done and He chooses you. He's appointed you. He knows everything you've ever thought, everything you've been through, everything you've done. He says, you're my child and I wanna use you to do something great. I'm just an ordinary person. And God chooses to use ordinary people who put their trust in God. Some of you right now, you're looking for a guarantee. A guarantee you won't fail. A guarantee you won't fall. But I've found God doesn't lead people through a guarantee. He gives them a promise. And if you'd respond to the promise in your heart, He would open up doors you couldn't believe. Now, here's the news. You know, first year I got rejected because I signed up half-hearted. By the way, you want to stuff up your Christian walk? Just be half-hearted in your faith. Just dip your toe in and out. You'll stuff up your life. You become like many disillusioned, critical Christians around the world. The the, the kingdom of God works off the principle of all in. You've got to lose your life to find life. It's all in. That's how it works. All in. If you dip your toe in and out, you'll be disillusioned at church, God and others. First year, I got rejected. Second year, I got accepted. Yeah, good news. But how many know what you do for one daughter, you've got to do for the next? And so sure enough, camp came around for my second daughter. But this year, you know, even before I had to fill in any forms, my daughter came home from school and said, Dad, the teachers really want you to come to camp. First year rejected, second year accepted, third year requested. I wanna declare right now over your life that God requests something of you. Not something minor, but something where He's gonna use your life to do something great. Come on, you have a purpose to life. You're not just sucking up air right now. Some of you are saying, oh God, give me a sign. Well, here's a sign, you're not dead. God's alive in you and God wants to use you to do something great in Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, if you believe God, clap your hands. Hi, I'm Richard Kabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. 
My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now, and if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.